Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. It is January the 9th, the year 2021. This is part four. Time is flying. This is part four of the five-part miniseries we've been doing on the history of the Cavs. We covered the 70s with Justin Matcham. I broke down the 80s, brought Dan Galinsky in for the 90s. And today's guests, we're going to be talking pre-LeBron. We're going to be talking LeBron. We'll even talk a little post-LeBron bleeding into the final episode being recorded next week. From Gloucestershire, England, it is not the morning where he is, but he is ready to go. Ben Jones, how are you this uh, this fine day? Yeah, I'm really, really good. Thank you so much for having me on. This is a, a real honor and a privilege. I'm, I'm glad to hear that, Ben. You're not going to find too many Cavs fans, you know, in your neck of the woods. Are there? And I know we uh, we talked with Rich Barrett about the Cavs a couple of weeks ago, but are there? Yeah. Do you have any any friends that you that you have that also share your fandom for the Cavs over there? uh no not not anyone that i've met has gone wow yeah you're another Cavs fan that is is so rare there, there's even like a couple of um Cavs sort of uk twitter accounts but even they are very sort of hit and miss as to whether they're still <laughs> active or not so I, I seem to be the only one so far Okay, well, I respect that. You know, there aren't any Cavs fans in my neck of the woods in new jersey either so we have that in common with each other and we look at the, the 2000s was probably as interesting as any of the decades in Cavs history. You know, it ended with with a couple of poor seasons, one under Mike Fratello, one under Randy Whitman. And it was the injury problems, uh, Ben, that continued to hurt the Cavs. In 2000, 2001, you know, DeJunis Ogowskis had hardly played in the NBA because injuries had killed him. He played, yeah, and I think it was 24 games. They got a great season from Andre Miller. But the roster was horrid, and Ben, there's very little to even say about that 2000-2001 season besides it wasn't pretty for anybody involved. No, I've not really got massive amounts of talking points for that year. Like you said, it wasn't fantastic. I guess that one of the biggest highlights I saw, though, is they they drafted Jamal Crawford, which is a name we all still know to this day um, for what he goes on to achieve. You know, I wish that they had hung on to Jamal Crawford because, you know, they, they also drafted Charles Oakley in 85. They traded him. They, they didn't really have a need for him back then. But, yeah, you draft Jamal Crawford here and you just – I can't recall what the exact deal was. But, yeah, this team was odd, you know. Yeah. Le- your leading scorer was Andre Miller. If you look at any team in the last 20 years and you say Andre Miller's the leading scorer, it's probably not going to end well because he's, <laughs> he's a great passer. Clarence Weatherspoon averaged a double-double and was a good shot blocker. They had veterans like Chris Gatling. They had a young Matt Harper. And they even had Jimmy Jackson, who we see commentating. Yeah, let's just move on. Uh, 01-02. Yeah. All right, Ben. This year actually saw fewer wins than the 2001-02 season. Uh, Randy Whitman was fired. They brought in John Lucas, who was a finalist for the Rockets job, which was won by Steven Silas just recently. Cavs went 29 and 53, but here, these are the, there's actually a couple of good things here, Ben. They, they brought in Ricky Davis for the first of two and a half, very interesting years, but big Z who had hardly played in the previous three years since his rookie campaign was able to play 62 games and Andre Miller averaged a point assist double, double. Yeah. The, although it's not overall, a standout season is it things that there's slight little gems sort of starting to shine through especially as you say there with big z because uh, he goes on to have some real success in the next couple of years coming forward so 
that was a real standout part of that year, definitely. Yeah, this was an, an interesting year in 01-02. This was the pre-Dewan Wagner season. The 29 wins set them up to draft him, but Andre Miller averaged 17 and 11 assists. Tyrone Hill was good on the glass, but you know he didn't see, see the, the court too much. He was gone by year's end. A big Z wasn't a regular starter yet, but he's uh, he who would have thought that Chris Mim would beat out of Zuner Zalgowskis for minutes. That that's definitely something interesting. You know, Michael Doliak, uh, Nuggets standout from the nineties. Brian Stitt was here. You know, now Pelicans GM Trajan Langdon was here. They, they, for some reason though, Ben, and th this is a little mind boggling. The Cavs had the eighth pick in 2001. They chose to Sagna Jop, and for another reason, uh, he was traded. They took Brendan Haywood, number 20. So you have a guy. Yeah, traded to Orlando. Yeah, he was traded to Orlando. But, Ben, my question is, obviously, we don't – we're not inside the mind of then uh, GM and slash executive Jim Paxson, but <clears throat> you have Big Z coming back. Why – and you have 22-year-old Chris Mim. Why would you draft two centers in the top 20? I don't, I don't understand. It makes no sense, especially like you're saying, when you look at the roster at the moment, yeah, they, they've got potentially four, maybe five centres they could be playing in rotation at the moment. What, why are you drafting two more in the top 20? Even to trade, it it does blow my mind. Yeah, and they also had Michael Doliak on this roster, who's really only famous for winning that 06 title as the number three centre behind Alonzo and Shaq, but yeah, the Cavs won 29 games. The divisions were a little different. They finished seventh in the Central at this point. They were 16th in scoring, but 26th in points allowed. So, I mean, not, not a ton to add on 0102. Let's go 0203 because this was a year where the Cavs only won 17 games. They were one of the worst teams in the league. They were last in attendance. Nothing went well. But what they had for them going coming into the year, Ben, was two draft picks. Carlos Boozer at number 35 and Dewan Wagner at number six. Yeah. And especially with, with Boozer, I mean, a name that could potentially come back to haunt us in the future with uh, where he goes to post Cleveland, but things are starting to look up here. Definitely. Those are some really good picks. And they somehow managed to, <clears throat> to, to acquire one of the best prospects in a long time from a couple of years earlier in Darius Miles. They had Darius, they had Ricky Davis now as a starter, averaging 21 points per game. Zadrunas Olgowskis, I don't understand how. I wasn't on the NBA, unless they were just, the NBA was just weak at the center position. Olgowskis was an all-star, averaging just 17 and 8 with two blocks. That's a very good year for a guy. It was a career year for an injured player and a guy that Cavs had high hopes for, Ben. I guess, though... Well, Gowski's making the All-Star game was cool because he got to play with Michael Jordan in the All-Star game. Yeah, something to add to his sort of resume, isn't it? Something he can tick off his his list. But, yeah, you you look across, even with those stats, like they're, they're good stats, but are they All-Star numbers for a centre? You think at that time of year, or well, back in the sort of early 2000s, maybe the centre position was slightly weaker. I'm trying to think amongst sort of, Shaq and who else was coming? Who else was around at that time filling the center position? But maybe, yeah. but it's great for Cleveland because that's you know our franchise back on the map again. We've got someone at the All Star game. Yeah, and it, it's too bad Junis Wojcikowski couldn't do any big recruiting at the All Star game, but it was cool to see him get in. It was you'd make another one and actually get to play with LeBron in 0405, which we'll get to. But yeah. 
other than that, you know, the Cavs won just 17 games in 0203. They fired John Lucas. They hired Keith Smart. I mean, look at some of the other names on this roster. Smush Parker, undrafted rookie, actually had some great moments for the Cavs. Uh, you know, veteran Bimbo Coles, Tyrone Hill was still here. Jermaine Jones, still just 23. And Dewan Wagner, 47 games played. Wish it could have been more than that. 13 points. He only shot 37% from the floor, but he was a big potential guy as far as what he could do. You know, it was a weird roster. There's no question. And it was this 0-2-0-3 year, however, all that losing, Ben, that set the Cavs up to take Akron's own LeBron Raymond James. <laughs> you don't hear the middle name very often, do you? <laughs> Not too often. Uh, yeah. You know, it, what's interesting uh, here was before the draft, Ricky Davis, right, was doing an interview and they asked him about the potential drafting of LeBron. He's like, we don't need him here. He's just another small forward. This is, uh, we're, we're, we're good. We got me, we got Darius. Miles kind of had the same sentiments. So how fun. <laughs> just, you look back on what he said then, how it's aged and what LeBron LeBron probably no disrespect to Ricky Davis who actually had a decent NBA career and he's great in the big three Ben but LeBron did yeah. more than probably his first 20 games and Ricky Davis has done in his basketball life so just looking at that statement is hilarious yeah one of a couple of the comment ones was that uh, he can just sort of hop on the bandwagon with us and you know we don't need him here they were just uh, especially from those two because if you if you listen to the comments from other spots from the roster like Big Z's like uh you know we're looking forward to having him and other people saying he's got even Boozer was like, he's got great potential, but I don't know. We'll see how he is when he comes in. But those two in particular were really adverse to them drafting him. And I think they were scared for their spot, you know. That's the only reason I can think of. Yeah, and it's crazy. Uh, this will I don't think this will ever happen again. I don't think it didn't happen last year because Zion was hurt off the bat. The Cavs rose 20 spots in attendance right after drafting LeBron. They hired veteran coach Paul Silas to take over. And I really liked the lineup this, that they had. They had some injury. You know, it was interesting. Jeff McGinnis was hurt for much of the year. Uh, it was cool to see him in there, you know, as a starting point guard. Uh, Ricky Davis and Darius Miles were both traded during the season, interestingly enough. You know, mm. they got Tony Batie in that midseason trade. They had Kevin Ollie on this team. He's a very good defender. Dewan Wagner, though, lost a lot of minutes, shot the ball horribly, only played 44 games. The positives from this year were Carlos Boozer averaging 15 and a half points and 11 rebounds a game. LeBron is a rookie averaging 21, five and six with almost two steals shooting 42% from the floor. And I mean, it, it was the rookie of the year, but Ben, here's my issue. And I'll ask you about LeBron in a moment, but first the big issue with this 0304 Cavs team was that one of these players is it was actually a huge snake. You know, uh, you can't make a promise as a, someone who's a professional at something. You make a promise and you don't honor it. It's just terrible. And what happens here was I'm sure you found this in your research as well as most Cavs fans know. Carlos Boozer had a handshake agreement with then owner Gordon Gund that he would resign in free agency. He said, let me just hit, hit, hit. I want to hit unrestricted free agency first. And then, okay, you then I, you can pay me more money. He's like, okay, deal, deal. What happens is 
he completely backs out on that and, you know, wasn't very positive with the media, decides to go to the Jazz. So that that just dishonesty really rubs me the wrong way. Yeah, that's not something you want to see. You've had that handshake agreement. I know it's not in writing, but and I don't fully understand the decision either because you look at the roster and the way it's changed in the past year and the, the steps you've made forward as a team and you want to abandon that to go to, to the Utah Jazz. It didn't quite sit with me either. Yeah, and he actually do the same thing again. At the end of his time with the Jazz, he was talking a lot of smack about the team and the coach. Before he went to Chicago, he had made sure to make a couple new enemies because what's a couple more guys that don't like you in another city in the country you live in and make your living. But anyway, LeBron James made his debut against the Sacramento Kings, a game that's that's on frequently. He had a very strong season. He was Rookie of the Year. This was the only time Benny did not make the All-Star game. But what are some of your takeaways from Rookie Year, King James? Uh, just looking back on it for a first-year player, well, first of all, can we address this draft in general? What an incredibly strong draft this was with him and Mello, Bosch, Wade. Just phenomenal across the league absolutely changed the game. Um, it was super close between him and Mello for, for a long time there. And, and was it Mello and Wade both took their teams into the playoffs, but LeBron couldn't quite get it there? Yeah, uh, I believe so. But the the numbers he was putting up for this team and the games he managed to carry them through as a 19-year-old a who apparently they didn't need, in inverted <laughs> commas, is phenomenal. You, you, when have you seen it since, really? That's my question. Yeah, I, I don't think you really have. I mean, the, the the breadth of talent in this draft as well. I mean, you got Carmelo. The Pistons decided to take Darko Milicic. Still won a championship that first year, but there's a reason they only won one instead of multiple. Yeah. don't understand why they took him over Melo. Then you had Bosch, Wade. Kirk Heinrich had himself quite the career. He only averaged 11 and five assists and all, but you'll find him among most of the leaderboards in Bulls history. You had Chris Kamen, who became an all-star and played 13 years. If he wasn't injured, didn't have the uh, the back issues. TJ Ford could have been really good. You know, you had Luke Ridnauer. Nick Collison has his number retired. David West, LeBron's future NBA champion teammate, Dante Jones. You have a future NBA champion, Boris Diaw. Kendrick Perkins, Leandro Barbosa, one-time all-star, Josh Howard. Future head coach Luke Walton was in this draft. Is Carl Corver down there somewhere as well? Corver, I think. Was he 03? Yeah, Corver, 51st pick. There you go. Yeah, it's deep, isn't it? Then James Jones was 49th. Mo Williams was 47th. I mean, he played with so many of these second round picks. Jason Capono was his teammate. You know, this, this is just an incredible draft. I mean, every draft has those guys that never come over, but probably the worst pick was the Celtics getting Troy Bell, who only played six games in the NBA and the magic getting Reese Gaines. The only, maybe the only teams that totally botched it, but it, it was quite the year. Oh, three, Oh, four. But now Ben, as we shift Oh, four, Oh, five, there's now pressure on the Cavs to start winning. You know, there's no excuses. And it, it, this is what's interesting to me. I don't remember too much about the season as it was happening. But the Cavs were 34 and 30. They're in a tight playoff race. And Brendan Malone becomes head coach. No more Paul Silas. Brendan Malone's the father of Nuggets uh, coach, Mike Malone. 
And, you know, the Cavs finished 42 and 40. Ogowskis was an all-star again, 17 and nine with two blocks. In his second year, LeBron's already <clears throat> MVP worthy, 27, seven and seven. Brought in uh, NBA veteran Eric Snow, Drew Gooden. Jeff McInnes is back. And <clears throat> here's what actually what I remember, Ben, as the 0405 season marked for a short time my new disdain for my local New Jersey Nets <clears throat> because coming into that last night of the season, I believe if the Nets had defeated the Celtics in game 82, then the Cavs would have been in the playoffs. They were the ninth seed in the East, but they, they were up 20. They blew it. The Celtics would go on to win. So the Cavs would miss the playoffs by the the nail tiebreaker. The nail on their finger. I, it's that close. I mean, you look at the progress though for a team that hadn't made the playoffs in seven years. Ben, forty-two wins, two All Stars. You got a guy who was a standout right at the start of his career, Drew Gooden. You got a good mentor for the younger guys like Eric Snow. I mean. To, I think this kind of set the tone for the next five years for the Cavs. Yeah, the the the, the people they acquire this year are sort of a couple of staples in uh, Cleveland's history as well, bringing in Verzhal this year as well. Yep. Um, and Sasha Pavlovich joining the team. And I think there's a the good sort of mix of veteran and young talent starting to appear in the roster. And you can see that from the performance and the results they're getting. They're, they're starting to play better as a team. And I think what you start to see as the, the roster develops is they learn how LeBron likes to play and that they can build a team around him. Um, and, and it's really starting to come together here. Yeah, yeah there's no question. But... The Cavs had the number 10 pick, Ben, and this is a theme throughout the decade. Who do they draft? They draft Luke Jackson. Look, Luke Jackson was very good at Oregon, and he actually he averaged 21-7 and five assists, making 73 threes as a senior. He could score at all three levels. He was an 87% free throw shooter, but perhaps he just was never NBA ready. He played 10 games as a rookie, played 73 games in his career, I mean, you had so many talented guys in the 04 draft. I don't know what exactly, Ben, the Cavs were thinking. I know he was good in college. It was a second-team AP All-America, but something just wasn't there with Luke Jackson. No. Um, and you look at a couple of the players under that. Again, Al Jefferson, Chris Humphreys, even Sebastian Telfair, J.R. Smith in there, Josh Smith. There's some big names we think of now that could have – being sort of so much more useful for the, for the Cavs going forward. Um, but we, we, for some reason, uh, the drafting wasn't especially strong at that point. I uh, imagine Ben, I mean, he wasn't supposed to be as good as he was, but Kevin Martin at number 26, he was probably so low because he came out of a school, Western Carolina, which you don't hear much about, you mm -hmm. know, yeah, Jameer Nelson was in there. He they did kind of need a legitimate, not, Jeff McGinnis was a good point guard, a very good one. Eric Snow was solid. But if they had a scoring guard like a Jameer, I mean, if they had taken Josh Smith, the versatility with Boozer now gone with LeBron and Josh Smith, I can't imagine how defenses would stop that as Smith came into his own. I mean, he was straight out of high school, so maybe he didn't want that again. But this was such a loaded – I mean, they, they missed Iguodala by one pick, how that could have been different. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it did get Varejao. That was great. I don't know how Trevor – Trevor Ariza, by the way, actually. One of my favorite stories, Ben. He was the 43rd pick. He didn't enter the league with a jump shot at all. So for him to turn into the three-point shooter he did was pretty impressive. Well, yeah, that's a, a hell of a development there. Uh, Trevor Ariza, I think it was his – he was he went to Houston for a year in that weird four-player, four-team trade with Courtney Lee, Darren Collison, and one other guy was involved. Then he moved around New Orleans, Washington, Houston again. Then he kept bouncing teams. But the 05-06 season – is probably one of my favorites in Cavs history, Ben. So they bring in a 35-year-old head coach. Not too common. It still isn't. I think there's only the only coaches in that age bracket. I think Mark Diagonal of the Thunder might be around that. And obviously, uh, Ryan Saunders, rest in peace, flip. They bring in 35-year-old Mike Brown, Ben. They go 50 and 32. Uh, Brown was an assistant with the Wizards, the Pacers. And I didn't even know. I didn't know this. He was a Spurs assistant as well. So he's actually... He yeah, he's of course he is with the way he runs his defense. And here's the best thing: a playoff appearance. Larry Hughes, Damon Jones. They bring in Flip Murray, one of the greatest D3 NBA players ever. But what impressed me, Ben, was that side note: LeBron's 31 points per game were third in the NBA. I think that's the last time that multiple guys have even averaged 30. You had AI at 33, Kobe at 35. LeBron in his third year really held his own. He got even better somehow. <laughs> yeah, somehow. Yeah, the scoring's really sort of lifted, isn't it? And, and if you watch back at his highlights, he just gets the rim at will. He, he just goes round players, and they, they don't know how to, to stop him, basically. They haven't figured him out to this point. He's still quite young. He's still up and coming, and he's developing every single game, especially over an offseason. The 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 skill set he comes back with after an offseason is just phenomenal. And it, that is something you see throughout his career. As he gets older, his game changes and, and develops. And, the, yeah, the 31 points is, is phenomenal. And he's still keeping that sort of seven rebounds, six and a half assists a game, a steal and a half, a, almost a block as well. He's everywhere on that court. It was everywhere on the court the entire year and into the playoffs they are for the first time taking on the Washington Wizards they'd become very familiar with over the next three seasons. Three so, of the four wins, Ben, in LeBron's first ever playoff series win were by exactly one point. I did not remember it being this close looking back, but I do remember uh, being in Miami to visit grandparents and watching the games at a couple of uh, – restaurants over lunch every time we were there somehow the Cavs would be playing that day we were out so many Cavs games are enjoyed over top-notch burgers I'll say that shout out to all the restaurants in Coral Gables uh, from the mid-2000s but game three first LeBron moment he scored 14 in the fourth quarter overall of game five he hit the game winner in game three he hit the game winner in game five with a layup, which we all remember, 0.9 left in overtime. It was a strong drive and a flip up and in. And then we get to game six. This is another overtime game, Ben. Cavs are down by one. And I believe this was the game where you see LeBron James go up to Gilbert Arenas at the free throw line, whisper yeah. something in his ear. And I think he said it's kind of like how Jordan did to Carl Malone. And then he missed both free throws. It stayed a one-point game. It, whatever he said, 
thank you. Like that, <laughs> whatever's happened in that interaction is phenomenal because at that point in time, Gilbert Arenas is 80 plus percent from the line. He's been phenomenal, not only in this game, but in this series. And I think if it hadn't been for his issues off the court and, and personal reasons and stuff, he would have been, his career could would have been fantastic. Absolutely incredible. Um, is this the game as well where LeBron scores the last 25 of the 26 points? Or is that we are later? one year away from that, actually. One year, oh yeah, next season. Okay, yeah. Next season. But this, um, you know what happens here, Ben? Actually, might even be as interesting. Damon Jones is on the bench the entire game. They yes. stick him in on this sequence, and he hits the game winner with four seconds left. Yeah, he plays 14 seconds in total. Uh, his plus minus is a plus two, and he's one <laughs> from one from the floor. And if you see the reaction from the Cavs as well after the buzzer goes, they absolutely swarm him and tackle him to the floor. And it's just, it's a wonderful moment to see. Uh, he, he, you know, that is a 14 second sort of career making shot. It's fantastic. And Damon Jones, by the way, the Cavs, if you look back on his career, the Cavs, I think, were his sixth or seventh team. And they were the first team he ever spent more than a season with. This was his first year there. That shot cemented his return, no question. Other than randomly kicking his foot out to defend people, which I still don't understand, having seen it in person and on TV, the Cavs win the series on that shot. They managed to take the Pistons to seven, but they led three to two. And then they couldn't hold on in a tight game six. The Cavs would score just 61 in game seven. And if this is the game I remember correctly, LeBron had zero assists through three quarters, which had never happened in his career. So they couldn't win game seven. They were out to 61 points. But here we go, Ben, 06-07. Cavs win 50 games again. Daniel Gibson's rookie year. Larry Hughes stays healthy. That was their big acquisition, a healthy Larry Hughes. And this time, they sweep the Wizards, so that makes LeBron 8-2 against Gilbert. They had a tough matchup with Vince Carter and Jason Kidd, RJ, and the Nets, who were probably bound for the finals if the Cavs didn't beat them in six. And then I'll let you take it here, Ben. Series is 2-2. It's a rematch with Detroit. Game five, it's close late, and LeBron James does something historic. Yeah, he, he goes into that fourth quarter, and he, towards the end of it, just takes over. He goes Kobe mode. He takes control. He go, drives to the basket nearly every single time. He scores 14 straight, I think it is, in the in the fourth quarter to take it to overtime to tie it up and carries on that scoring barrage in overtime and ends up scoring that 25 of the last 26 points for the Cavaliers, which is incredible. Even just saying it, it's difficult to sort of work, work out how that's even possible. But when you watch it, it's even more phenomenal. They've thrown double teams at him. They're fouling him. They're doing anything they can. And he just cannot be stopped. The, the, some of the jump shots he takes in this sequence, I don't even know how he managed to get off the floor to jump, like to, to hit the shot, let alone it go in. Um, it's, it's phenomenal. It's, it's just incredible to watch. If you haven't seen it, please go back and watch it. Yeah, this game was nuts. Daniel Gibson actually picked up four fouls in the fourth quarter. Uh, he, he played parts of the overtime. LeBron, 
Pat, LeBron and Pavlovich are the only players to actually play the entirety of the overtime. They're making a lot of subs. They actually used a total of eight guys in them, which is a lot for overtime. I mean, it was quite the game. LeBron was the only player to score in the overtime, scoring eight, all 18 of the Cavs. It was, I think it was 25 straight, 29 out of 30. I mean, yeah, he scored 11 in the fourth. No one else showed up. What happened when LeBron was going crazy, no one else showed up. And what's what really you remember about this is when you watch, Ben, I think it was in the second overtime, LeBron was just too much to stop. And it's a performance that you, you never forget in one of the most hostile buildings in recent memory. The Pistons had won a title just a couple of years earlier. I mean, they're, they're still, they weren't the bad boys anymore, but they were tough. Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace. You had to defend two other very good defensive guards and Hamilton and Billups. You had Tayshawn. I mean, that was probably the best defensive starting lineup the NBA is really, you could say, has seen ever just as a unit. Yeah, that's a big starting five as well when you look at it. There's Billups at your point. And they defensively were terrifying, really. If you're going up against them, what a lineup. And and for LeBron to single-handedly will his team through is nothing short of a miracle almost nothing short of a miracle and we go to the next year and excuse me go to the next game which was in cleveland it was very close throughout the Cavs outscored the pistons 31 16 in the fourth quarter because in the fourth quarter daniel gibson who had entered with 12 points put on a clinic Five for six from the floor, five for six from the line, four for four from three, 19 in the fourth quarter for rookie second round pick Daniel Gibson. I mean, he just went crazy. Finished with 31 points, didn't he? 31 points for a second round rookie in a game six. In a day where LeBron shot three for 11, the Cavs won that. That's probably the only time this ever happened in his first seven years. It's incredible. Yeah. And it, that sort of, I think, sets a precedent as well for um, trying to surround LeBron with a couple more shooters because you you see here that it can make the difference. LeBron can find them and set them up. But as well, when they catch fire, if you've got someone that can hit that, the way he's hitting them as well. It's incredible. What a luck, what a great bit of drafting that was, shall we say. Let's um for all the drafting woes we may have had, Daniel Gibson was a great pickup. Oh, no doubt. No doubt about it. By the way, actually, Ben Wallace was not a piston. I actually botched that. Ben Wallace was actually on Chicago at this time. So it was Chris Weber that they had to deal with. But still, Rasheed Wallace is still an incredible defender. Not to take anything away from uh, from our memories, but they had Chris Weber, not Ben Wallace. Just wanted to make sure I uh, I got that in. But now Ben, though, they're in the NBA Finals. They're playing the Spurs. Tony and Tim and Manu, Big Shot Bob. They had a very nice squad in San Antonio, just full of veterans, full of shot makers. Bruce Bowen. I think at the end of the day, getting to the finals was great, but I don't think LeBron ever had a shot because. As great as Gibson was in that last game, uh, they just did not have – Larry Hughes was also hurt for most of the series. They did not have what it took to beat them, no matter who on their regular roster was healthy. No. You, you, 
put the rosters side by side and it's just apart from LeBron, the matchups are just not in the Cavs' favours whatsoever. And we all know Coach Popovich is an absolute genius. So with with the talent they've got and the coaching staff and, and the front office and everything they've got going for them, this was a, an uphill task from the very, very start for a young LeBron. But Tim Duncan in his sort of uh, the way he was, the, just the amazing guy and absolute gent, Afterwards, there's that clip of them, isn't there? Him hugging him in the corridor, just saying, look, thanks for giving us this one. It's your league from here on out. Um, which I think is jokingly, but is also, I think he realises that the talent that LeBron is and that what is coming in the future is it is his league. So amazing from Tim Duncan there. Yeah, that's a pure class from one of the, yeah. probably the humblest superstars in any sports history. It's funny because Tim Duncan would rob LeBron of a title and actually end up sending him back to Cleveland yep. <laughs> in the next decade, which we'll get to. But you go now after the sweep, good for the Spurs. You know, they're just they're an incredible team. They'd also won a couple of years early. They beat the Pistons a couple of years earlier, so they probably would have beaten Detroit again had they met them. Oh seven, oh eight regular season. Maybe the Nets could have beaten that Spurs team and gotten revenge from a few years earlier, but oh seven, oh eight. Cavs slipped back, a lot of injuries. 17 different players had at least one start. They acquired Ben Wallace and Delonte West. LeBron averaged 30, but this was an awkward team. Starting lineup featured Ben Wallace and Zadrunas Ogalskis. I didn't understand that at all. They beat the Wizards again in six. And we're just going to flip ahead to the end of this one, Ben. Uh, game seven, the series is tied with Boston. And... LeBron James and Paul Pierce had a duel for the ages. Yeah, this series was phenomenal. And um, you you remember this matchup for sort oh. of the rest of your life. Like especially this sort of this Boston Cavaliers rivalry in particular um, plays a massive part in going forward with the Cavaliers and LeBron in particular. Um, but this duel was fantastic. Yeah, I wasn't even home for this one. We were at family friends for dinner and I don't even know how big a basketball fans they were. I'm like, Hey, we got to get the TV on. It's Cavs Celtics, LeBron Pierce, the, the super team. Can the Cavs end the super team? Sorry. I, I'm pretty sure. I, I don't think I ate. I'm pretty sure it was a messy dinner at their house. I don't think I ate on the couch, but I saw the majority of the game, thankfully. And I'm glad I did not Well, the Cavs lost, but here's how many times. In a game seven, is your best player going to score 45 in a loss? It's very rare. You look through the history books, and sometimes it's just not enough for one guy to do it all. And if you, I've watched the game, I've watched parts of the game back a couple of times, and you see these stretches of everyone not named LeBron unable to hit anything. And on a team that had Ray Allen and KG, still came down to the small forward spot in Ben Paul Pierce who is the most disrespected superstar in the game's history. I still don't understand why, but on this day, LeBron couldn't stop him. The Cavs couldn't. His 41 meant more than LeBron's 45, and the Celtics moved on. Yeah, and you got two superstars going at each other like that. It, it, it comes down to the small things, isn't it? What is the rest of the team contributing here? And the, the Cavs didn't quite have enough to get them over that sort of threshold, did they? No, and... Here's my favorite fact on this series that the Cavs couldn't win and lost in seven. 
13 of the 14 times in the series, the team scored fewer than 100. That was just the times. But the Cavs scored 108 in one of their wins, going by 24, and that was that. But now we're going to flash ahead to 08-09. This is the best Cavs. This is the best team in Cavs history, better than the one that won the chip because they had 16 more regular season wins. Just as far as overall dominance, I don't understand this at all. What they did do was bring in Mo Williams from the Bucks. Ben Wallace is still in their starting lineup. They won 66 games in the regular season. LeBron won his first MVP. They were 8-0 in the first two rounds of the playoffs. They faced Allen Iverson's Pistons in the first round. This, by the way, was the first of a lot Pistons, by the way, have not won a playoff game since they had beaten the Cavs. I believe, in a couple of games in 06, 07. They got swept there. They haven't won a playoff game now in like 14 years. They swept the Hawks, something they do many times over the years. And they get. we're just going to go right ahead. It's Orlando. Game one, the Cavs should have closed it. Rashard Lewis hit a late three to put them in the lead. And then game two, though, Cavs down 1-0, Ben. His shot. With Marv Albert on the call, probably my favorite Cavs memory of his first tenure. This, again, a clip I've watched over and over and over again in my in my life, and everything is seems to be sort of against this. You know, LeBron is a good three point shooter, especially when it comes to crunch time. But the slight push in comes out top of the three point line takes the ball and just lets it rip. And there's like a, a slight moment of silence as that ball goes up. But when it drops down and you hear that it's in, it's just electric. It give, Even if you're not a Cavs fan, it'll give you goosebumps. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal shot. And what LeBron did by making that shot was avoiding the team choking two leads in the final 30 seconds in a row because Hito Turklu had scored right before when the Cavs had had the lead on a three of his own. So yeah. it was it was wild. Mo, I think it was uh, Mo Williams on the inbounds and Varejao and Pavlovich were the first to him. I mean, just that was unreal. That was the first clip. So back on my phone, my in the flip phone days, Ben, the first thing I ever bought. And I think it was, the, I bought, I made three purchases on that phone for a total of like 12 American dollars in, uh, in all. I bought that clip, I think for three ninety nine. the pixel quality was horrible, but I wanted to watch that anytime I could, wherever I went. Cause we didn't have internet on phones as you remember in that time. Oh yeah, definitely. There, oh, two, two comments I'm going to make here. One is the way you're watching your playoffs sounds phenomenal. Like I'm still watching my playoffs in the middle of the night on a on a laptop. And you're <laughs> sat watching them eating burgers. I'm very jealous of that. And second of all, I I need to do it because uh, my code from my podcast won't let me live it down if I don't get a chance to do this. But I need to big shout out to Mo Williams. He's one of my favorite all time Cavs players. Um, I, I just love the way he played. I love the way he could shoot the ball. And on this particular shot as well, he inbounds a ball. And he, you just see him on the sideline just shrug and put his hands in the air and then put his hands on his head because he just cannot believe what he's just seen. So it's a fantastic moment in Cavs history. Yeah, no question. That was an out-of-body experience for Mo to be a part of. I mean, that's why they brought him there, to just kind of be another option. He had some great games, and he would help the Cavs uh, in the next, beginning of the next decade snap the longest losing streak in franchise history with his clutch play. Yeah, he'd also get... Uh, 
one all-star appearance because of injury, he'd get a call-up. Yep. Um, is that the 09 season? Yeah, that was the next season, 09-10. It was uh, – he replaced – a lot of guys got in because of replacement that year. He replaced Bosch, I believe it was, during his last year in Toronto. Um, but, you, unfortunately, Ben, the good times didn't last. Uh, game three, Cavs lose. LeBron had 44-12-7 in the fourth uh, – excuse me, in, in total in game four. <laughs> But the Cavs were, were up late. Again, Orlando gets – it's a late three. Orlando, what they were doing in 0809 was not a, a comment around the NBA. They had Dwight Howard and they had four shooters. That's it. Yeah. You know, they, they surrounded their big man who had no outside game at all with incredible shooting, which made them lethal in a time when no one did that. That's how they got to the finals, no doubt. LeBron did hit a couple of clutch free throws, which I don't know how many times we've said that in our lives. Sorry, LeBron. You're, we still like you at this point. You're still, <laughs> you're still cool, but good job on the free throws. But they still lose in overtime. They win game five, and then game, game six, the Cavs had won 66 games. But you know, Ben, you know what Dwight Howard said? I'm going to just put up 40 points, 14 rebounds, whoop your butts, and get the magic to the finals, despite our starting point guard missing the entire playoffs in Jameer Nelson. Yeah, they were missing JJ, JJ Redick as well, which we all know is another phenomenal shooter. So um, Dwight was just dominant at this point in time, wasn't he? He was just in a league of his own. There's no other centre in the league I can really think of. I mean, you know, Shaq's still knocking around, but he's past his heyday. But Dwight was just an athletic freak. He was a monster. Um, and he took some stuff in. And like you said, the, the way they've set the roster, you know, Rashid Lewis and some great shooters around him. If you collapse your defense onto a onto Dwight, he's got enough knowledge and, and enough passing ability to get it out to those shooters, and you're in a whole heap of trouble. Yeah, and my favorite thing was the I think it was the following year, might have been this year. It was this year when the Charlotte Bobcats made their first playoff appearance. They actually used three different centers to rotate on him just to use all the fouls. It was Nazi Muhammad. Tyson Chandler and maybe Brendan Haywood was the, oh no, Theo Ratliff was the starter. Then you went to Tyson Chandler, then Nazi Muhammad. It took all three just to, and they still got swept. But yeah, 66 wins, no NBA finals. What happens the next year? A lot happens the next year. They bring in a guy who had played, I think, in Miami and Toronto, a one time Globe Trotter, Jamario Moon. They bring in Big Shaq, who we thought was going to be very good. He wasn't horrible, but he was definitely very old. They yes. signed Anthony Parker. Mo Williams is LeBron's first all-star teammate since Big Z. They trade for Anton Jameson. They decide not to trade for Amari Stoudemire because they were worried about injury and they didn't want to trade J.J. Hickson, supposedly. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Ben. For me, this was like – I'm looking at the roster and I'm thinking they drafted Danny Green as well, which we all know develops into one of the greatest shooters in a playoff series of all time. Yep. Um, they've got, they, they've sort of taken that Orlando roster as well and, and tried to get a bit more shooting in. And Anthony Parker was a good shooter. He was a good, really good guard. And they've tried to bolster their center position to sort of outdo uh, Dwight, I think, by bringing in Shaq, that experience there. They've still got Big Z. Um, Antoine Jameson, a shooting power forward. I mean, his shots were odd to watch, but <laughs> effective. Um, and they brought in some some more athleticism in Jamario Moon. Um, so I, I look up and down the roster, and this this as well. This is the NBA. I had NBA Live 10, yep. 09 to 10, and like playing with this roster, it was phenomenal. The, the, 
the talent on it was great, but maybe the, the some of the players they brought in slightly past their prime, perhaps. But you think this is enough to maybe for LeBron to to feel supported and, and enough playmakers to to make baskets happen when nobody else can um, step up or they're doubling LeBron. But yeah. as we get into the playoffs, we'll we'll talk about that. Yeah, this was year seven. Jordan won his first title in year seven. So they're thinking LeBron, 25, maybe he will be the next Jordan. We'll get his first title in year seven. He had another great season with 37, nine assists, a whole block a game, almost two steals a game. I mean, Delonte was solid off the bench. J.J. Hickson stepped into that starting power forward role decently. My favorite part of the year was when they traded Olgowskis to Washington in the Jamison trade. He said, I won't play here. My heart is in Cleveland. Had to wait a month to be able to come back to a team that had traded him. He did. Uh, you know, he had had all those great years as a starter and yeah. just doing his thing. You know, this was an interesting team. It beat the Bulls in five, as we remember. And let's, let's take a look at this Boston series, Ben. So they win game one handily. They lose game two. They win game three by 29. They're up 2-1. It's looking very good. Then, all right, they lose by 10. It's 2-2. They're, you know, they got a great chance here and they lose by 32 points in game five. So now they have to beat this super Celtics twice just to get to the conference finals. Yeah, that game five really hurt Cleveland. That was a huge loss for them. Um, The Boston big three, or if you want, you could even stretch out to a big four now, Rajon Rondo really sort of in his stride. Kevin Garner, every starter in double double digits. Um, and they get another 15 points off the bench from big baby, Glenn Davis, stepping up. Um, it, was, there was, it was a difficult team to stop, really. Um, and LeBron wasn't playing great. He, 15 points, which is a real low for him. Three from 14 from the field, which is just unheard of and it's not what you want from your superstar when you're playing a team as good as this um Shaquille O'Neal in that game with the high points for the Cavaliers 21 points an aged out Shaq can't be your best player yeah Shaq was 37 at this time and it's not like watching Tom Brady throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns in the NFL which you'll probably do tonight at age 43 Shaq at age 37 should be the fourth or fifth guy, but a guy that you have a security blanket when the star needs help. I mean, it was cool to see him teammate Shaq play with Kobe, LeBron, and D Wade, and actually Paul Pierce too. Not that they're anywhere near this. He's not near the class of the other three, but still really cool. We get to game seven. LeBron had a triple double, 27, 19, and 10. Mo had 22, but Cavs just couldn't score much. And I think we started to get the feeling, Ben, LeBron does not shake hands after the game. He goes right in the locker room, kind of puts his jersey over his head in frustration, and then Cavs are out. And also robbed of a likely Kobe-LeBron finals, but, you know, that's, that's life. And what we didn't know at the time was that this was going to be LeBron's last game as a Cavalier, uh, first time through. No, it's, it's tough to look at it, but when you look back and he steps into that tunnel and the jersey comes straight off, you kind of – it's poetic in a way that that for him it feels like the end of a an era in his career at that point in time. Um, but yeah, no one knew at that point it was all open. He'd set it up. Um, is it three years 
prior. They they offered him a five-year or six-year extension deal, and he turned it down, went for the three-year yep. to have this control, to see whether the Cavs could step up and give him the help he needed. And, and this is where it got him to. Yeah, he believed it was going to be somewhere else. So I have some quotes here from his interview with Jim Gray, who was the host of The Decision. And the first thing was, he said he thinks the major, he said, this is before he disclosed where, that he was going to the heat. He said, I think the major factor and major reason in my decision was the best opportunity for me to win and win now and also win in the future. And winning is a huge thing for me, Jim. You know, ever since I was a rookie or in high school, we always talked. That was number one thing for me. Help my teammates get better and just wanting to win. I've done some great things in my seven years and I want to keep doing more. And then he says, I have no doubts about it. There were five teams in the running. I think the Knicks were in there. The Bulls are in there. Obviously, the Cavs, Miami. I don't remember the fifth. The Irrelevant. Oh, who was it? The Nets. The Nets. Uh, That's right. And the, the Clippers threw their hat in the ring as well. They had uh, Baron Davis and an injured Blake Griffin. Um, and the Nets didn't really have anything at that point in time. So you could kind of rule those two out straight away. So it was, for me, between... Cleveland Bulls, New York, and the Heat. Yeah, the Bulls would have had Wade. Wade would have joined him. I know that, but I think LeBron wanted Wade to stay home. Anyway, here's here's how it would go down, and then I'll tell you exactly where I was. And then he says why he left, and then we'll close out. He said, "I you've had everybody else biting their nails. LeBron always bit his nails on on the sidelines. First time with the Cavs, he stopped it when he got to Miami. LeBron, what's your decision in this fall?" This is very tough. I'm going to be taking my talents to South Beach and joining the Miami Heat. And then he said, Miami Heat? That was the conclusion you woke up with this morning? That was the conclusion I woke up with this morning. And then what was the major reason for leaving the Cavaliers? I don't even see it. Like, it's it's not leaving Cleveland, like the logistic about it. It's about joining forces with two other guys I feel like I respect their game the most, and I feel like we have a great chance of winning and winning for multiple years. Like I said before, it's a very emotional time for me. I know it's emotional for the fans and also the area. And if it was a perfect world, I would have loved to stay because I've done so many great things. They've done so many great things for me. But I feel like it's time to change. So basically, Dan, uh, Ben, excuse me, it was the undertone of what LeBron wasn't saying that kind of made this dreary and a little murky was that I can't win with you guys. I think my best chance of winning is to ditch you after this and not not stay through and through yeah that and i think that is the biggest problem to come out of this is it's not what you said it's how you said it this hour-long special okay all of the proceeds went to charity fantastic that's amazing but going on live tv and breaking the hearts of potentially millions of people isn't the way to do it um and I th- he definitely learns from this, 100%. Um, but yeah, like you said, it, it's this the sort of the unspoken part of this speech where he talks, he, he, he basically says the, the Cavs, if I stay here, aren't going to give me what I need. I need to go elsewhere. It's, it's difficult to hear as a, as, as a Cavs fan, definitely. Yeah, it was... I didn't get to see the decision live. I was uh, I was away. I saw it on a on a lobby computer in the hotel. So I, I mean, I was very surprised uh, reading that he left. But you know, kind of braced myself for him possibly leaving before that season, knowing if they don't win a chip, it's very possible. 
I mean, at the end of the day, LeBron gave seven great years, but also at the end of the day, he promised a championship and he was leaving without delivering. Yes, he was only 25, but still. Yeah, and you don't envision at that point in time as well with the reaction of the fans and, and the ownership and, and the way everybody went about this. You never envision LeBron coming back to Cleveland after this. You, you don't see how it can be repaired and how it can be patched up. You think that's it. He's made the promise. He's broken it. And whenever he will forever go down as a almost a villain after all the good he's done in Cleveland. And Ben, were you able to catch that first game when he when he came back and it was the the environment was incredible. I wish I was there. Yeah. I, maybe actually, no, I don't. I would have been toxic in there. But <laughs> it was. I remember going through. Uh, a regular day of high school that day. The Cavs had actually started seven and nine without LeBron, which is kind of a miracle given they could win seven games with the roster they had out of the first 16. And not to go too far because it's in the next decade, it'll be for next week, but it was just something. I mean, the, the, I've never seen the crowd that crazy before. Anyway. Uh, I've watched, watched it back and the – the hostility, you can feel it from everyone in that crowd. It is, it's scary, really is, to have that many people giving off that much hate directed at one individual. It's, it's almost difficult to watch. Yeah. Um, yeah, it must have been tough. But like I said, it... it for me, it was more the process in which he went through to come out with those words and that decision rather than because because players leave and that's the nature of the beast. It's just it was done in such a public and sort of almost insensitive way. Yeah. Um, a lot of people took it personally. Yeah, I, uh, I think I've worn my LeBron jersey a total of twice in the last 10 years total. But I will just uh, to backtrack to what you said earlier, I, I was trying to racking my brain to remember the reference I wanted to use. And I finally got it when you you don't go on TV to break millions of hearts unless you're on The Bachelor or The Bachelorette. If, <laughs> that's the place that you want to make those decisions and not viewership. In this case, no. And look, he was 25. He nobody's perfect but this was definitely a moment of weakness for LeBron and obviously a big homecoming with him Wade and Bosch that crazy event in Miami where they all not one not two not three four not five not six (laughs) not seven how many then you said not two but it was it was and you know what's the funny the worst thing for me though Ben is that I don't know what com- – look, I, I'm – he did what's best for him. After a while, as a basketball fan, even as a Cavs fan, you have to move on. You can't just keep saying, oh, we did this, because yeah. you're just moping. You know, when someone breaks up with you or you break up with them, you know, there's going to be some moping. You got to get over it. If the Cavs fans continue to just boo LeBron and get mad and this, they're, just, they're not doing themselves any good. They have to accept he left. Let's do the best with what we can. And, you know, I wanted him to actually win a championship. I didn't root against him until his third year in Miami, which I hate because he left the cat. Look, it, it, still, though, 
he left the Cavs high and dry for beautiful South Beach, where he got Dwayne, he's got Chris, he got all these vets. He did bring Big Z there, and I wish Z won his chip. Unfortunately, yeah. it didn't happen like that. But it's just, why was I rooting for LeBron? Because he's with the Heat. The Cavs are winning 19 games, and their biggest headline is Ryan Hollins getting in fights in the tunnel with Charlie V, Villanueva. Like, how was that even a headline in game 82? But it's, it's, I, it was a weird time, LeBron on the Heat. But you know what? He did what he thought was best for him, and the Cavaliers got Kyrie Irving to come to town because of it. And I think that's where we'll leave, Ben. Any closing thoughts on the first – or the, the 2000 to 2010 of the Cavs and the uh, decision before we wrap up? It's one of – well, it'll be uh, beaten in the next decade, slightly, but ultimate highs and lows in this decade, I for me – the, the highs of the finals, the lows of being swept, and obviously the ultimately the decision to, to finish off this decade with the high at the beginning of the decade of drafting LeBron himself. So a real roller coaster there for the 2000s, 2010. Yep. And if they could have figured out the shooting guard position, we'd probably be uh, singing a different tune. Uh, probably would have been in a parallel universe. They had, they had this... They just, I understand passing on Kevin Martin and even Tony Allen. No one saw them doing what they did in uh, that year. They took Luke Jackson, but you know, everything happens for a reason and it wasn't meant to be the first time we had to go through these crazy circumstances, win the draft lottery three times. That's for another time, but Ben, uh, pleasure bringing you on. And I appreciate you helping me break down a wild 10 years in Cavs history. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Um, Just, as you mentioned before, we got to know each other through Rich Barrett over here in the UK, got you on for a little interview because um, me and my friend Liam, we run a, a podcast over here where we talk about everything in the NBA, not just select teams, although we do have our favorites, obviously I'm a Cavs fan, yeah. um, but we are, we're called Hardwood Hoops. We're at underscore Hardwood Hoops on Twitter. If you want to drop in and, and have a look or, or get on Spotify or Apple, give us a listen be great to, to hear from you guys definitely so thank you so much for having me on it's been an absolute privilege thank you ben just tap the follow button this very second as we wrap up on this saturday for ben jones i am zach weiss coming back next week with evan damerel from forbes sports and locked on calves to finish up this calves history miniseries